The Apostle Paul here instead, he talks about how the gospel is doing. That's what he says, how the gospel is doing. I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, actually served to advance the gospel. It's because whatever it is that he's referring to, when he says what has happened to me, the adversity that's come across his life, you would think, you would, you would be tempted to think that it would destroy gospel progress. You would be tempted to think that it would actually get in the way of whatever it is Paul was trying to do. He answers the question, how is the gospel doing? And he does this because there is nothing more important to the Apostle Paul than the spread of the gospel. You know anything about him? Read his letters throughout the New Testament, and there's lots of them. You know there's one thing that matters to Paul, and it's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, he's doing this in about, you know, eighty forty to eighty fifties, early 60s. No Facebook Live at this time. No Instagram <laughs> right? Nothing like that. If you were going to spread a message and you were going to get it out to different people, you would have to do what? You'd have to go, right? You'd have to get mobile. You'd have to get on your feet and walk and go to those places. Here's the problem. Paul's progress has been stopped in its tracks. He's in prison as he writes this letter. He's under house arrest in Rome, and he's writing this letter and saying, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I want us to be really clear about what he means here when he says, what has happened to me. Uh, in order to do that, we're going to rewind the Bible a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Because in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's telling them that his gospel and what he brings to the table is more valid than all of the false teachers that they've been hearing from. And he does this kind of by listing off his resume. Now, he even says right here at the beginning, he says, uh, I'm out of my mind to do this. He said, I would never list off my resume for you normally, except that it achieves his purpose of demonstrating what has actually happened to him. So let's read starting in verse 23 in chapter 11. He says, are they, the false teachers, servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. means I'm a better one. It says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That means five different times he has been flogged to within an inch of his life. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, and he lists this as his number one adversity, by the way, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You think Paul was familiar with adversity? I would say so. When he says what has happened to me, and he's writing to the Philippians, and he says what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, don't miss how utterly ridiculous this is. 
it's ridiculous that he would say this. Because you would think all of that stuff would actually serve. This is, you know, I know how ridiculous this is. It's like this. It's if I were to go up to you, you know, on a Sunday morning, we're chit-chatting before the service, and I would say, hey, uh, so this week my car was having trouble. Engine wasn't starting the right way, wasn't running. I think something's misfiring or whatever. So what I did was I popped open the hood, and I took a sledgehammer to it (laughs) for an hour. And it actually fixed my problem. That's how stupid ridiculous this is. Don't miss this. You are, you are meant to get this. This is totally counterintuitive. And yet this is exactly what God does with my adversity and with your adversity, right? Look at this. We know that this is true because God has taken the most intense, most uh, grotesque version of evil in the world and he has turned it completely inside out in the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ what happened at the crucifixion was the most, the, the highest form of evil that the world has ever seen because it's the only time that an innocent man has ever truly suffered. Right? Truly innocent man. I want you to look at how Paul describes this in Colossians chapter 2 because this is, this is the greatest example of this. If you are dealing with something right now in your life, this is a great portion of scripture to go to. This is Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. He says this. What happened at the cross? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. This is the gospel. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Triumphing over them by the cross is a really big statement because the cross was a Roman invention. It was a Roman invention designed very specifically to be the the epitome of humiliation and defeat. If you were crucified by the Roman authorities, you had been completely conquered. They won. That was the message of the cross. Anytime anybody thought about a cross, it was total humiliation and defeat. And yet... When Christ was on the cross and he did what he did for you and me on the cross, God turned it completely inside out from something that was a showing of humiliation and defeat to something that was a showing of victory for you and for me. Here's 1A in your notes. In God's hands, the cross is victory. In God's hands, the cross is victory. Number two, God's hands, in, your, in God's hands, your adversity will only ever accomplish the opposite of its intended effect. That is what we're saying here. When God turns your adversity inside out, it doesn't mean that he solves the problem immediately because I think you and I both know that there are times where we're facing something and we're praying for it to go away and God doesn't remove it for reasons that are unknown to us. But I'll tell you one thing that he does do. He takes whatever it was intended to do, and if you trust him, if you trust him and stay faithful to him, and not just have this life in mind, but also think of the next, he will take whatever it was intended to do and do the opposite with it. This is what he does. If it was intended to fill you with fear, it will fill you with faith. If whatever you're facing was intended to discourage you, you will end up encouraged. This is what God does. We know that he does this. I had a friend of mine, his name is Dwayne. 
And he served on one of my worship teams for a long time. And one day he approached me and he said, Steve, I have been diagnosed with throat cancer. And it was pretty advanced. And he began treatment. And it was the kind of treatment where they would take you and lay you kind of face down. Uh, and they would kind of cover, he would cover his face like this and he would receive the treatment. Uh, it was long lasting and it was very, very difficult and painful. He said at the beginning he would just use those times to pray. He just said, God, I'm just going to pray. I, I'm just going to use this time to pray, get closer to you. But as it progressed and as the treatment progressed and as it took its toll on his body, he really didn't have much energy anymore. And he told me, he says, there were times where I was laying there receiving that treatment and I wanted to pray, but all I could pray was, Lord, I don't have anything left. I don't have anything left. He said, I wouldn't choose it ever again. He's in remission now, but he said, I wouldn't choose it ever again and I would never wish it upon my worst enemy, but I would never trade it for anything. I would never trade it for anything. I said, why? He said, because you would think that that would tear me away from God. You would think that that would bring me further away from God, but it brought me closer to him than I ever could have imagined. God turns your adversity inside out. In his hands, it will only do the opposite of what it was intended to do. That's the first thing that he does. But he does more with it, and we're going to see it in Philippians 1.13. Let's continue on in our passage. So Paul says, I want you to know that what you thought was going to destroy the gospel actually advanced it. And then he says this, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, I've got a chain up here, a pretty long one, but I need some participation. So I'm going to call on our pastoral intern, Andrew Cook. Would you give Andrew a round of applause as he comes up to the stage, please? For those of you that are wondering, this is actually what the pastoral intern program looks like here at Shelby Road. So here's what you're going to do. Um, you're just going to go wherever I go on the stage. Okay? And then when I tell you to say something, you're going to say it. Good? This is what we do in the office every day. <laughs> So if you ever want to intern here, just know this is the way that it goes. No, seriously. Paul was under house arrest. Okay? Paul was under house arrest. This is what it looked like. All day, every day, all night, he was chained to a Roman guard. Different guards, taking different shifts, but still chained to a Roman guard. Wherever he went, the guard went. Right? This is what it looked like. This is what it was for him. He says, it has become clear to the whole palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. The reason for my, for my adversity is Jesus Christ. Well, how do you think that happened? Well, if you're chained to somebody constantly, if this is our Roman guard here all the time, you'd probably talk. You've got to pass the time somehow, right? You'd probably start chatting, which is what happened here. You would talk for a bit, and probably what would come up is, hey, why are you here? What'd you do? Right, so ask me, what, what did I do? What did you do? What did I do? Okay. If I'm the Apostle Paul, I might say this. I was preaching a message to gatherings of people, and the authorities didn't appreciate that message, and they threw me in here and shamed me to you. So I would say, 
Well, what might be the next logical question if I said that? What was the message? Right? So ask me, what was the message? What was the message? Well, the message basically is this. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus Christ is. And he died on a cross and did so for your sin and my sin and rose three days later and he's coming back to rule all of the earth and because of this, I no longer have to pay for the penalty of my sin, which is death and neither do you if you recognize him as Lord as opposed to Caesar. Do you see how this works? It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. I want you to look at this in your notes, okay? God turns your adversity into a testimony. God turns your adversity into a testimony. Now, we're going to drill down on that word because it's really important to know what we mean by this, right? For Paul, this was not just simple adversity either. We've read all the things that have happened to him, but there's one more thing I want us to focus in on. I'm going to read it for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Sometimes adversity is something that comes across your life and stays there for a little while and goes away other times and this may be you here today adversity comes into your life and it just stays i want you to listen second second corinthians chapter 12 starting in verse 7 paul says this therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited i was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of satan to torment me Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. A thorn, this is in your notes, a thorn is adversity that won't kill you, but won't go away. Okay, a thorn is adversity that won't kill you, but it won't go away. Uh, Long-term chronic medical issues fall into this category. Okay, pain changes people. Long-term pain, this is what happens. It's a chain, right? If you're facing that kind of adversity, it could be mental health issues, that's real. This happens to people. Could be that. And it feels like it's holding you back. It keeps you chained all the time. It's always with you. Always on your mind. Could be that. I don't know what it could be for you today, but I want to encourage you by telling you that God turns your adversity into a testimony. But here's the uncomfortable thing. The content of the testimony is very difficult. It's a difficult truth because what happens when you're chained, right? Especially if you're Paul and you're chained to a Roman guard and you are talking about what has happened to you and you say, well, I'm here for Christ, right? Christ is part of the reason why I'm here. If that's the truth, there might be a question that comes up in this other person's mind. It could be this. Well, if your God is good and this adversity happened to you and and you are here in part because he allowed this to happen, which is true, right? Nothing happens to you that doesn't come across God's desk first. Nothing happens to you that doesn't come across God's desk first, right? And so somebody might say, hey, if this is the case, how can God still be good? I've had this discussion with people who are not believers, and they look at me and say, if this is the case, if this is going on in your life and your God is really good and he let this happen, how can he still be good? This is 2B. Sometimes God allows the enemy to mess with you. And God's got his own reasons for this. We see this in Job. We see this in Job, chapter 2, verse 3. God says, he's speaking to Satan. He's saying, you 
You incited me to bring ruin to Job for no reason. This is what he says there. Right? Sometimes God lets this happen, but he's got his reasons, and his reasons usually have to do with his glory. If I am all in on this, I've got to be all in for God's glory. And sometimes that means a chain. I'm not saying that's an explanation for everything bad that happens, but sometimes God lets this happen. Sometimes he allows a chain because it's his glory is what's on the line, as it was in Job and as it was the case for Paul here as well. When you are in chains, you have a captive audience. Okay? When you're in chains, you have a captive audience. This is what happens. This is what I mean by God turning your, tri- turning, your, uh, turning your trial or turning your adversity into a testimony. Here's what I mean by this. It means that when you face a trial, this is next in your notes, God's goodness goes on trial. When you face a trial, God's goodness goes on trial. In the eyes of the world, in the eyes of your friends, all of that stuff happens. They say, how can he still be good? And God's goodness is what ends up going on trial. You... This is the next one. In the storm, you get called as a witness to the goodness of God. If you're facing a trial, if you're in a chain, you get called as a witness to the goodness of God because you start talking to somebody who's realizing, hey, this person's in a chain. They've got adversity going on. They've got difficulty, and you talk to them about it. And as God turns your adversity into a testimony, you testify to God's goodness. See, this is something we we mess this up all the time. Here's how we do it as Christians. We, I think, we tend to think that if I see somebody in a, in a trial, if I see somebody in adversity, if I see somebody in a really difficult situation, that it's my job to go over to them and to remind them that God is good. We think this. I think, oh, I just, I need to go over there. I just say, hey, you know what? I know things are tough for you right now, but just remember God's good. And we're, we do it with the best of intentions, right? But it hardly ever produces the effect that we're hoping for, right? Because it's, it's not the time to say it. I think we say it because it's not the time to say it. Actually, the reason that it doesn't produce that effect is because we flipped it. When somebody is going through something really difficult, it's not my job to remind them that God is good. It's their job to remind me. They're the one in the storm, They're the one who's in a chain. They're the one that's got the captive audience that God has called them as a witness to his goodness. And when you are, people listen to people in storms. People listen to people in storms. And when you are in one and you are facing adversity, God is saying, I'm turning this into a testimony of my goodness. Because when somebody's in a storm and they stand up and they say, I know it looks really bad right now. To be honest, it feels really bad right now. But God's still good. That's powerful, is it not? That's incredibly powerful. When God is at the helm and he's fully in control of your life and you are faithful to him, he takes your chain, he gives you a captive audience, and he turns your adversity into a testimony of his goodness. Okay, I'm going to let you go. Give, give our intern a round of applause, please. God turns your adversity inside out. He turns your adversity into a testimony. 
Here's the third thing that God does with us. We go back to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 14. He says, what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, which is ridiculous. And then as a result, all the palace guard knows now about the gospel. And they know why I'm here, because I have been giving a testimony to his goodness. And then he says this. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Number three in your notes, God turns your adversity into an advantage. God turns your adversity into an advantage. When we deal with adversity, it's not unusual for us to have a thought. And the thought might be, if I didn't have this, then fill in the blank. If I didn't have this medical condition, then my life would be much better. If I didn't have this thing going on, then maybe I I would be happier. I'd be more joyful. If I didn't, here's where it really gets real. If I didn't have this thing happening right now, whatever it is, then I would be more effective for God. That is an understandable line of thinking. It is a line of thinking, and it's wrong. It's entirely wrong. Um, Look at the language Paul uses, verse 14, and because of my chains. He doesn't say, in spite of my chains. He doesn't say, in spite of my chains, right? Sometimes we do this. We think, you know what? God's going to get his will done. He's going to get the job done, and it's going to, no matter what the obstacles are, he's just going to plow in front of the obstacles. He's going to go through, plow the road through. He's going to get it done in spite of whatever goes on, right? It's not exactly how it works. The way that God uses adversity in your life and in mine is not in spite of it. It's precisely because of it that he gets his work done. This is a mystery, and it's an important thought in this process. It's an advantage. Somehow, some way, your effectiveness for God would be decreased without the setback. This is true. Because of my chains. Because of my chains. I don't know what your chain is today, but I'm going to challenge you to look at it and declare it's because of this that God will get his will done in my life. It's because of this that God is going to be more glorified in my life. It's because of this that I will become more like him. This is not an easy thing to do. 3A, how we talk about God matters. The language we use matters. It's not in spite of, it's because of. This is what we need to do. Make that exchange in your notes. Exchange in spite of for because of in your life. Here's 3C, God doesn't waste pain. He doesn't waste it. It might feel like a waste to go through something incredibly difficult. How in the world can anything good come out of this? God doesn't waste it. It's precisely because of it that he's able to get some of his work done. We know this because of the next thing in your notes. God used Paul's adversity as an opportunity to pour out his power. If we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he's talking about the thorn, I want you to see how he speaks of this. He says this. 
I asked God three times to take it away from me, this adversity, but he said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. God sees my adversity as an opportunity to pour out his power. This is the difference between going through life under my own power and going through life with his spirit power. It's very, very different. These two lives look very different. One person's going through it, doing the best that they can with the best tools available from the world, and another person going through the same circumstances, the same adversity, going through it under the spirit's power. And the difference is, one person says in spite of, and the other person says because of. Because of my chains. Because of my thorn. Look at this. Therefore, continuing uh, verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. That's what I'm going to talk about. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, and this is, this is really ridiculous, I delight in weaknesses. I like it. What? I like it in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am, read that word, strong. It says you have no idea. It says I'm spreading the gospel. I'm working for the Lord. You want to chain me up? That's fine. It's only going to advance the progress. Life wants to send adversity my way. Okay. All right. I'm going to deal with it. But you're going to see it's precisely because of this chain that God's going to get his glory and he's going to do something amazing in my life. God doesn't waste pain. The world at large doesn't really know what to do with pain. The world at large doesn't know what to do with adversity, really. We look at philosophies and other belief systems and we see the best wisdom that the world has to offer falls incredibly short. We've seen three things here today that God does with our adversity, turns it inside out, and will only do the opposite of what it's intended to do. We've seen that he will turn our adversity into a testimony, right, as I'm called as a witness to his goodness in the midst of my storm. But then the third thing that he does is he turns it into an advantage. That means we can do something with it. Now, the world will tell you the best things you can do. Here's just a few examples, and they're in your notes. How the world responds to adversity. How the world responds to it. Since this is the only real, this is the best stuff that they have to offer. These four things are kind of examples of what's out there. Number one, Buddhism says, accept it. Buddhism says, accept it. Yin and yang. It's just a natural part of life. There are good things and there are bad things, and that's the way that it is, so you just need to accept it. That's the best wisdom that a lot of Eastern religions have to offer. Number two, karma says, pay for it. Pay for it. Something difficult happened to you, adversity happened to you, it means that it came across your path because you did something, right? What goes around comes around. So, like, if you want to get it out of your path, then you need to pay for it. All right, that's the best wisdom that they have. Number three, fatalism says endure it. Fatalism just means 
you know what? Everything is faded. It's just, it's just fate. It's just whatever's meant to be. So if it happened, it's what was meant to be, and that's it. That's the end of the story. So you just need to endure it so that you can get stronger because of it. That's the best wisdom that fatalism has to offer. Modernity, our current culture, says avoid it or power up over it. Right? Avoid it, meaning it's just an interruption. You're, you should have a good life, pursue a good life, and if something happens, just do your best to avoid it. But if it does, power up over it. Rah, rah. Look inside for the inner strength that you have and rise up against everything. That's the best responses that the world has to adversity. Would it surprise you if I told you that we as Christians have a better one? We have a better response. Buddhism says accept it. Karma says pay for it. Fatalism says endure it. Modernity says power up over it. Christianity says preach it. Preach it. Now you might be thinking, oh, Pastor Steve, that's your job. No, it's not. I can't preach from your adversity, but you can. Look at, what, look at this. Back in Philippians, what Paul says happened. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to, read those last words, proclaim the gospel without fear. Proclaim the gospel without fear. It's my job to keep you spiritually fed and strong. Why? So that you can go out and preach it. I'm going to load you up with a three-point sermon. I'm going to load you up with one, okay? This is how you preach from your adversity. This is how you do this. If you want a way to think about this and how to talk about it with people who ask you, you've got an audience that other people don't have. You have a captive audience that other people don't have. This is how you talk about it. Number one, this hurts. This is important. Far too often... As Christians, when we talk about our adversity, we skip over the pain. We just go straight to the God stuff. Somebody looks at us and we're dealing with a medical condition, we're dealing with incredible adversity, and they ask us how we're doing, and we're like, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. And they have completely disconnected from you because they don't relate to you at all, because you don't seem real. This has got to be the first point in the sermon that you preach from your, from your adversity. This hurts. This is real. This is difficult. This is the hardest thing I've ever dealt with, and most of my days are fraught with pain. You saw Paul talk about it in 2 Corinthians 11. This hurts, but we go to number two, but God is good. This hurts, but God is good. This will be easier to say and to believe if you stay close to him. Okay, stay close to him. This hurts, but God is good. That's your testimony to his goodness in the storm. And here's number three. This is not a story about you. This is a story about him. So you say, look at what he has done for me. This is the gospel. Look at what he has done for me. I know that it looks bad right now, but he is good. And he set me free from my sin and from my pain. He set me free from the penalty of my sin and I will forevermore live with him. Look at what he's done for me. Okay? I want you to stand.
Would you stand with me right now? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That's my prayer for you today. Whatever adversity you're facing, whatever difficulty you've got going on right now, that you would take hold of what God does with it and that you would preach it, that you would have sufficient courage to be a testimony to God's goodness in the midst of your storm. So preach it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are truly good. You are so good that we can say so even when it looks like life is at its worst. Father, I pray that you would embolden us today. I pray that you would give us courage to proclaim the gospel without fear, to say what is true, that difficulty is real, but that you are good in the face of it, and that it never changes how true the gospel is, Lord. We thank you so much for today. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen those of us facing adversity, that we may preach it and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.